It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different Hey everyone, and welcome to the Growth Hub podcast brought to you by growth marketing agency, Advanced B2B. It's your host here, Edward Ford, and joining us today on the show is Caitlin Burgoyne, growth strategist and trainer at CaitlinBurgoyne.com. Now, Caitlin is a three times founder turned self-proclaimed growth geek. She's been featured in Inc., The Huffington Post, and CBC, and she was also named in Forbes' list of top female influencers. In this episode, Caitlin explains how you can identify your right fit customers, what triggers them to buy, and how you can use that to outsmart your competition. Caitlin talks about her trigger technique framework and combines it with real world examples to provide you with a host of practical takeaways regarding customer research, interview questions, and how to map buying triggers as part of the wider customer journey. We also look at how you can be there when your customers reach that trigger moment and how you can translate your customers buying triggers into actionable marketing tactics. So I guarantee you will love this episode and as ever, stay tuned for the end of the episode where Caitlin takes on our Fast Five Challenge. So here is episode number 40 of the Growth Up Podcast with Caitlin Burgoyne. Welcome to another episode of the Growth of Podcast, and it's my pleasure to welcome Caitlin Burgoyne to the show, who is growth strategist and trainer at CaitlinBurgoyne.com. So Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us today here on the Growth of Podcast. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm super, super excited about this episode. And today we are looking at how to discover what triggers your right fit customers to buy. So I think a good starting point before we dive into that is how do you actually identify your right fit customers in the first place? So can you tell us how we should go about this? Absolutely. So it's not the easiest thing in the world because a lot of people, when they think about customers or customer segmentation, they think in kind of these thought patterns of particular personas. And the way I like to describe it is the right fit customers are those customers who are going to get the most value from the product or service that you offer and who um, are going to you know, stay with you. They're going to buy often. They're going to be willing to pay, uh, you know, be willing to pay over and over should you have a subscription service or at least they're willing to buy and then recommend you because they, they value what you offer. And those people don't always fall into one tidy kind of like demographic or psychographic persona, but what they all have in common is that they all have specific jobs they're trying to get done in their life or their work life. And there's particular circumstances that um, surround those, those tasks that make it challenging for them to complete those jobs. And your product or your service because of the way you've positioned it, because of the unique value of your product or service, just are the, is the absolute best tool for that. So the way that you find those people is by talking to your customers and oftentimes your best customers and trying to stitch together and learn what, where the overlap is and why they're your best fit customers. Yeah, exactly. I think we've all been in that situation as marketers where you're trying to work out who is our ideal persona and you think that, well, this person is in an enterprise, this person is in a small business, this person works in this role, this person is in that role. But often if you try to find the trigger, you'll find that that is actually common across all those personas. So again, I think, yeah, jobs to be done is a great great framework to use in addition to personas or as an alternative. And let's talk then 
about these buying triggers in more detail. And I want to quote something from your blog. So you wrote that understanding an audience's buying trigger is a massive competitive advantage, yet many marketers are missing out. So let's go a bit deeper here. So what are actually buying triggers and why are they so important? So when people hear the word trigger, they often think that I'm talking about what made them click that buy button. And what I'm actually talking about is what happens way before they click the buy button. I'm talking about the trigger that made them first realize that they needed a better solution than what they currently had. So oftentimes in our lives, we are going along happy as a clam, and then some event will take place that will make us realize, oh, like, what I have right now, I'm not satisfied with, I'm not satisfied with where I'm at in this situation, or I'm not making the progress that I'm trying to make as quickly as I want to make it. And we start to passively notice solutions in our environment that could be um, a great solution to our problem. And so the buying triggers that I'm talking about are those events, those events that happen in our lives that make people go from, I don't need to buy, I'm not even thinking about needing this thing, through to, okay, like now I'm starting to realize I have a problem and I'm starting to notice that there are things that might be able to solve that problem. And what's interesting about those triggers is that those triggers often happen and we may not know what solution we need yet. And we may immediately think that, oh, like, you know, if I have X problem, my assumption is I'm going to need a product in X category. So we're not always educated on what all the solutions are, but what we're experts in is our problems. And what, as marketers, if we can understand what are those life events that trigger people to first start thinking they need a better solution and they have like, they have something they're trying to accomplish and they need a solution, a, a tool or a resource or the support to actually make progress because they can't do it on their own. That is a really, really powerful advantage for marketers. But as I said, oftentimes the, the intent from the customer's perspective isn't okay. Like I'm going to go search Google for this, this product now because they may not be aware that that's what they're looking for. So it's really interesting because you can get in front of them when they aren't necessarily as high in intent to actually buy a product like yours, but they're actually gonna be more willing and open to um, other types of options that you might present to them and ways that you can use content marketing to kind of like nurture the relationship. And you can build that affinity with the customer before they've even 100% crystallized that they under and understand that they need a product like yours. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this leads on to the next question pretty nicely in that, so how can marketers actually identify what their customers' buying triggers are and identify when they might be triggered? So the absolute best way to do that is to talk to customers because the thing is, is that these triggers are not like they're not easy for us to observe. So by the time somebody's on your website, by the time somebody's, you know, let's say that you sell a physical product in a store, like by the time they're there, they, these triggers have already happened. So you can't observe them in your environment. You need to go out and you need to talk to them about this. And you can, you know, you could certainly send a survey and ask questions like, you know, when did you first start thinking that you might need a product like ours? And you'll get some interesting answers. Um, but oftentimes we as consumers, we don't spend an enormous amount of time thinking about our buying decisions. We buy for emotional reasons, then we justify with logical ones. And so most of the time, what people are going to answer in that kind of survey medium is they're going to answer what's top of mind, what seems logical, right? Like, oh, well, I think I probably did it because this happened. 
But if you actually sit down and talk to somebody and do a conversational interview and you want to learn about their buying journey, what you'll often learn is that those triggers happened um, in ways that that customer couldn't have just articulated to you um, on their own because they didn't really know it. And you can kind of like pull this out of them. And what's so neat about these conversations is the customers often really enjoy them because they learn about their own thought process and they start thinking deeply about the way that they make decisions in a way that they never had before. So you pull things out of them that they didn't necessarily know were there and you get the kind of like the deeper answers that you're just not going to get through other mediums. So that's why I'm a huge fan of customer interviews. Yeah. And identifying and acting upon these buying triggers is only really a small part of the customer journey. So how do you go about mapping the wider customer journey and understanding when your brand comes into the picture? So I love that you asked that. So um, there's on the same blog post you mentioned, I show this um, kind of typical customer journey that would be created by a marketing team. And what it shows is kind of the um, going from, you know, aware through to like advocate. And that's often what we think of. We think of this like marketing funnel and our customers unaware and we need to make them aware. And as soon as they're aware, that's kind of our first touch point. And now we want to move them through awareness to, you know, to, to using the product through to being an advocate or a prefer of our product. And what's interesting about that typical approach to customer journey mapping um, is that while you're kind of like mapping all the different touch points, whether they're like digital touch points through, um, you know, online ads or your newsletter or whatever, or in-person touch points, that's only a tiny part of the story because you're only mapping your customer's engagement with your brand. And most customers, when they're actually in the buying journey, they're not just considering you and their buying journey certainly doesn't begin when they learn about you. Their buying journey begins as soon as they are first triggered to realize they need a new solution. And it often involves looking at a bunch of different products and considering a bunch of different alternatives, some of which might be your direct competitors that do the same thing you do in the same way, but some of which might be completely alternate solutions that you had never really thought of as being your competitors. And so if you're only mapping the customer's interaction with you, you're missing all that rich stuff, which gives you all of this like kind of opportunity to like arbitrage your competitors and get in front of them in channels that you wouldn't typically think of. So what I say is that I, I love, um, I think it was first Bob Moesta, who's one of the original thought leaders behind kind of the jobs to be done. Uh, framework, but I've kind of a, a, adjusted his original, he calls it the timeline. And the way that he looks at the buying journey is again, it starts with this like first thought, I call that like the trigger, but it's like he calls it the first thought where somebody first starts thinking I need a better solution. And then they start passively looking at solutions. And oftentimes, if you're a marketer, you may not, you might be one of several solutions that they're considering in that passive looking stage, or they might not even discovered you yet. And so you interviewing them and learning about what happened in that passive looking stage is really helpful. Then usually something will happen, a catalyst that moves the customer from passively looking, being like, I wonder what's out there through to no, I need to solve this problem. Like I need a better solution. And then they'll start actively looking. And this is where most marketers live in terms of their spend and their attention. So in the active looking stage, they're the customer searching on Google and they're, you know, asking friends or on maybe the G2 crowd or Captura website if it's for software. Um, and that's where a lot of marketers spend a lot of their attention and their money. 
but that's also this really competitive and expensive time to try to get in front of somebody. And if you can understand what happens in the passive looking stage before they start actively looking, then you can build affinity with that customer sooner. And then by the time they're considering you against alternatives, you're not just one name in a crowd. You're a brand that they've already had an interaction with, a brand that they are already familiar with and you know, that they have um, have affinity towards. And so then there's kind of like the active looking stage. And again, usually some type of catalyst happens that pushes them into decision mode. And in that decision mode, they go, I'm, I need to choose. Like I'm going to narrow down my selection. I'm going to look at what trade-offs I need to make between these different solutions. And I'm going to choose one. And then they buy the thing. And when they buy the thing, we know in B2B especially that this, you know, the journey's not over then. Although traditionally in marketing, a lot of us, that's what it would be like, you know, okay, it's over. Like, you know, we, we sold them. Great. Let's move on. But at that point, the customer will use your product and they will assess it. And they'll say, did this actually help me to make the progress that I intended to make when I chose to try this product? And quite oftentimes, the answer is no. And what that means is that even if they are still using it, even if they're still you know, paying their monthly subscription, mentally, they might have already fired that product and started considering other solutions, looking at other tools to get their job done. So when I talk about the buying journey, I kind of talk about this whole journey from, you know, I just first started thinking that I need something better than what I've got, what I have today isn't working, through to did this actually help me to make the progress that I want to make? Is it consistently helping me to make that progress? Because if it is, great, I'm going to be satisfied, I'll keep paying, I'll maybe notice other things, but for the most part, I'll be loyal. Or if it didn't, well, I've already mentally fired this thing in my mind and I'm st still hunting for a better solution. And that's kind of like the, the zone of death for so many companies because they spend all of their energy thinking about acquisition and they're way less interested in <laughs> whether or not their, their customers are actually happy and satisfied at the end. This is blowing my mind. It's so good. And I think so rarely do you actually discuss about marketing that early on. I mean, we talk about awareness and like you said, acquisition, but really being there when people are having this first thought or this trigger. And I think that, you know, so once marketers know who their customers are and what their buying triggers are, when they are triggered and how they fit into the wider customer journey, how can marketers actually translate buying triggers into actionable marketing tactics mm -hmm. as a way to outsmart their competition and actually be there in that first thought stage. So I'll give two real world examples. So um, one that I talk about in my blog post is Casper. And I think Casper's a really inspiring brand. They've done some really cool things. And so Casper was the original bed in a box company. They started, I think it was in 2014. Um, and since they launched, there's now over 170 new competitors in the market. And they were number one, and now everybody else has come in to try to steal their lunch. But Casper is still like the dominant player. They're about to IPO. Um, I think they're going to do, they're doing like a billion dollars in sales. And what Casper realized very early on was they did some research. They found out what their customers' buying triggers were. And what they learned was that people were first triggered to start thinking that to kind of enter the buying journey. They didn't necessarily know that they needed a new mattress, but they knew that they weren't having a good night's sleep when they were sitting awake between one and three in the morning. And that makes sense, right? And so then they did some interviews and they learned that there were some pretty common events that had happened in those people's lives that had triggered that sleepless night. Things like they just got a dog and that dog's now sleeping in the bed with them 
or they are in a new relationship and that person's spending the night more often and now their bed feels a little too small, or they have a toddler who started crawling into bed with them, or they, um, they uh, got divorced and you know, thinking about being in this bed with they share with their partner isn't comfortable anymore. So thinking about those triggers where we as marketers are so lucky today is that there's actually a lot of ways that you can use those event-based triggers to get in front of people that might be triggered to need what you're selling. So for instance, Casper could use Facebook's um, life events. They could target people specifically that are you know, recently in a relationship and they could target people specifically between one and three in the morning, their local time. So knowing that those people are up, um, scrolling through social media, Casper could put out ads. Now, guess what? Nobody's going to take out their credit card and buy a mattress at 3 a.m. But what they will do is they'll watch a video on breathing techniques to help them get back to sleep. So now Casper has a qualified lead because not only is that person recently in a new relationship, awake between 1 and 3 a.m., but they're watching 40 seconds of a video about how to get back to sleep. So now Casper has... Um, a, you know, a, they know that they've got a hot lead. They can now retarget that customer in the morning with other offers to start moving them down the buying, um, through the buying journey. So things like that, like when you understand what those different triggers are, you can get really smart and creative. Um, and you'll learn a lot of stuff that you'd never learn otherwise. So another example, a client of mine, they um, are a newspaper company and newspapers are this industry that's getting massively disrupted. And it's, you know, there's all, all over the world, newspaper companies are trying to figure out what does the new business model look like? Like, how do we, how do we move forward from a digital transformation perspective? Because people don't want to pay for news because they didn't have to, <laughs> you know, all the newspapers went online and they didn't charge anyone. And so everyone's used to that. And so it's, 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 it's a tricky landscape to navigate. And one of the really interesting things that we learned through doing research with their audience was that I ended up talking to a number of people who were the subscription holders for a digital subscription. And as far as the company's concerned, those are our customers. You know, you could use some type of like um, uh, customer enrichment thing and you could look at them and see their demographic information and you go, oh, we're getting all these customers that kind of look like this. Well, guess what? Those people weren't their actual customers because what I found shockingly was that like 12% of the people that I talked to um, had actually bought a subscription, not for themselves, but for an aging parent who had recently moved away from home and had commented that they missed getting their local paper. And so they bought them the subscription. They showed them how to use a tablet so that they could actually navigate the website and they did it to help relieve their guilt of their parent now being in you know, a home or, um, or being away and then feeling like they're not able to, um, to give them the, the attention and being able to see them as much as they want. And so from a marketing perspective, well, guess what? Mother's Day's coming up, Father's Day's coming up. Let's actually run promotions specifically to like, you know, people on our site that we know would probably have aging parents and actually show their parent with the iPad and like show them how that can be this way for them to stay connected. Like it's so personalized and we're in, it's such a neat time as, mar as marketers where we can become so personalized. So there's so much, there's so many great tools to allow us to really send personalized messages to the right people, but we can't send those messages if we don't know those people's buying triggers and what's going to resonate with them. So 
I think that like it's it's really exciting as a marketer, but it's extra work. And for companies that aren't used to doing that work, it's sometimes difficult to convince them that it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So so for our listeners who do actually want to explore their customers buying triggers, figure that out after listening to this podcast, what advice would you give to them and, and how should they go about it? Well, the, the thing is, I, um, I actually did 300 customer interviews before launching my tech startup and thought that I was doing the right thing and ended up biasing all of them inadvertently and <laughs> building the wrong thing and that company failed. And so I was not a believer in customer discovery um, initially. I was actually a skeptic because I was like, I did this and it didn't work. And maybe, you know, like, I think that like people probably don't know what they want. And then it was in discovering um, jobs to be done and discovering the way that, um, you know, the focus of you don't ask people about some hypothetical future and you don't spend your time talking about your solution or showing them how great it is and getting their feedback because everybody has feedback and everybody has opinions and those opinions, while valuable, can potentially lead you in a totally wrong direction because people will give you feedback and their opinion all day long, but it doesn't mean that they're actually going to have behavior that is uh, representative of that. And so what I tell people now is really the most important thing when you talk to your customers is the best time. Like I, I say this thing and people find it interesting. It's like, it's not important. It's like who you talk to is important, but when matters more. And people are like, what? That is like, you know, that doesn't make sense. And it's like, well, it does because talking to somebody who recently bought from you is way more valuable than talking to somebody who represents some ideal persona of what you, persona of what you think your ideal customer looks like um, and talking to them. Because the person who recently bought from you, they're going to remember their buying journey and you're going to actually be able to get them to document that way easier and be able to pull that information out of them. So a lot of times people will talk to their customers, but maybe they're talking, you know, maybe they're selling to enterprise companies and they're talking to somebody who wasn't even involved in the buying decision and they're getting kind of like feedback on their solution. Well, that's great, but that's not going to help you figure out how to get more customers because that person might not have even been part of the decision to use your software. Like those conversations can be helpful, but in figuring out the buying triggers, that's not the way to go. You want to talk to people who recently bought from you. Um, and if that's not an option, say you're, you know, just getting started or you're trying to figure out what to build, or you're thinking about shifting and, you know, serving a new segment and you don't have any customers that represent that, then the second best option is talk to people who recently bought from one of your direct competitors. And this makes finding people a little trickier than just reaching out to your network through social media and saying, will you fill out my survey? Or like, I want to talk to people who are using accounting software. It makes it a little bit trickier, but I, it's the, the quality of those insights are going to be so, so much better that it's absolutely worth the effort. Right, exactly. So customer research and interviews are the best way to discover your customers buying triggers, so long as they were recent buyers. Uh, but what kind of questions should we be asking during those interviews? So really what we want to do is we want to help get them below the surface and to really get them to kind of like share with us, you know, like open the kimono, as they say, and share with us what was going on in their life. Aside from like, you know, the obvious things that led to them making the decisions that they made, what were their, you know, what were, what was pushing them towards making a purchase, but also what buying objections did they have? Like what could have stopped them from buying? Those things are really important. And then when we think as marketers, 
an important thing to take note of is what were the trade-offs that they had to make? So we're always comparing things in our mind, not again, not with just direct competitors, but we might be saying, I could do this or I could use Excel, right? Like one of the biggest competitors for B2B software is an Excel spreadsheet. And so in the customer's mind, they're always kind of like making these mental trade-offs. And when you understand as a marketer what those mental trade-offs are, you can speak to those in your, in your marketing material. It can kind of like help um, pull people along so that they understand that, um, you know, the, what, what trade-offs are worth making given the quality of your solution. So really what you're, what you're trying to do is you're trying to recreate um, their buying journey. But what I've done, so I, once I kind of discovered jobs to be done, I got really excited as a marketer. So I was like, this makes so much sense. And this really changed the way that I think about marketing. Um, and, but then I dug in and I spent several months learning as much as I could about it. And I got really overwhelmed because there's all sorts of different ways to apply it. And like some of which are really confusing and not designed for kind of stealthy companies. Like if you're a huge enterprise company and you can throw tons of resources at this, go for it. But otherwise that's never going to work for you. Um, and so I really got overwhelmed and I got deflated because I was like, I love the promise. I love this theory, but I don't, it's making it actionable seems so difficult. And so what I did was I actually kept applying it, like doing my own interviews, learning what worked and what didn't. And I've kind of created my own system and it's called the trigger technique. And what I do today is I teach uh, high growth companies how to apply the trigger technique so that they can figure out what those customers buying triggers are. So I've got my own kind of system that builds on a lot of the um, brilliance of people who came before me, um, but has kind of really been pared down to be like, okay, you've got you know, a, a founder running their own marketing, or you've got a small marketing team, what's realistic for them? And then I've designed a solution to work with that. So it's not kind of your typical um, jobs to be done style research, um, because it's designed in context of you've got people who have very little time, and they don't need to create this big report to share with their team, they need to action these insights as quickly as possible. What does that solution look like? Wow, that's cool. Can you elaborate on, on the trigger technique and give us a little more insight into what it entails? Sure. So um, I'm working on kind of like V2 of it. I just did the first launch, first online launch of it um, back in, what are we in, We're in September now? I guess that would be in August. Um, but essentially I teach people how to conduct the, the style of interview. Um, and that's, you know, that's not magic necessarily, but there are some there are some really important things that you need to do to avoid biasing the insight that you get back. Um, and I teach people how to quickly document what they've heard and how to listen for the right things in those interviews that are actually the most actionable things for marketing. Because a lot of the people who teach jobs to be done sell interviews, they take it from the frame of reference of how to figure out what products to build. I focus on how do marketers get to use this insight? How can this work for marketers? Um, and the interesting thing is all along the buying journey, there are specific ways that a marketer can action the things that they're hearing and using and learning. And so I teach people that too. So not only are you kind of learning how to conduct these interviews, you're learning how to reach out and get to talk to the right people, you know, specific questions that you can be asking, but more so it's about how, how to, the style of the interview, because you don't want to, like when it comes to um, these types of interviews, it's not a, I've got this list of 10 questions and I'm going to ask these 10 questions and then it's done. It's very much a, you could start with one question 
have nothing else prepared. But if you understand what you're trying to listen for and how you're trying to document their experience, then they're going to naturally guide you through the rest of the interview. So I teach people how to do that. They have an opportunity to practice doing that with other people that are um, participating in the program um, if they want to, or they can kind of go offline and do it with their own teams. But then more importantly, I teach them, once you actually hear these insights, how do you action that in your marketing? What are some ways that you can apply that in your marketing? So that's uh, the trigger technique. It's not live right now, um, but it, I'm going to be launching it again. I'm toying with two dates. So it could be end of uh, November, or I might wait until Jan 2020, um, depending on kind of another collaboration I have in the mix. So it's not live right now, but if people are interested, they can certainly, um, you know, the, the blog post that we're chatting about, there's a sign up form there to get more information about it. So they can hop over there and be on the wait list for it if they're interested. Yeah, that sounds great. So definitely keep an eye out for the trigger technique either later this year or the beginning of 2020. And I, I think one final question before we jump into our fast five challenge, and that is how do you then keep track of your customers buying triggers and check whether they've changed over time or are still the same and, and kind of bake this into your ongoing marketing operations and processes. Any advice you could share with us there? Sure. And that's probably actually the hardest part of all of this. You know, it's easy to do research on like from a project to project perspective. Like let's say you're planning out your marketing for the quarter, or the year, like it's easy to go, okay, we're going to start with research. And a lot of companies that's, that's kind of, it's certainly a big improvement to not doing research, but a lot of companies do it on a project to project basis for marketers, especially if you can find a way to make con continuous discovery part of your um, just ethos as a marketer, you're going to just feel lit up. You're going to feel inspired. You're going to be hearing your customer's language all the time. It's really, really good stuff. So the most um, difficult part of making that possible, well, there's two barriers usually. One is that a lot of times teams don't trust marketers to talk to customers for some reason. Um, so founders, or if you're, you know, working in a marketing agency, the clients, they don't necessarily want you to get on the phone with their customers. There's some type of anxiety there. It's like they're afraid that the marketer is going to say something wrong and they're going to like offend the, the client or something. It's really bizarre because they expect marketers to be the person that understands their customer probably the best yet they are resistant to letting those marketers actually have a conversation with their customers. <laughs> it's really weird. But so that's barrier one. And so a lot of the work that I do today, a lot of kind of like my thought leadership, if you want to say that, like, but the, the kind of like the message I'm trying to put out there is how important it is because I'm trying to convince more teams to let their team talk to customers because I see that that's a huge barrier. And so I'm always like talking about the benefit of talking to customers. Um, so that's barrier number one. Barrier number two is actually trying to have people to talk to on an ongoing basis. And so because of the great tools that exist today, that's something that you can automate. You could set that up so that, you know, maybe every time a new customer joins, in part of the like you know onboarding email sequence maybe there's a ps saying you know we'd love to talk to you about your experience sign up here and you use like something like a calendly to have you know a one hour slot in your calendar once a week where people can fill that up and it's then being filled for you you don't need to think okay i need to go out and find people to talk to because that's really the part of it that creates the most friction and where people end up slowing down because there's logistics to getting another person on the phone. And so if you can find a way to kind of like automate that recruitment 
um, that's gonna be massive in making this an ongoing practice. Um, user interviews, uh, they have a great blog post where they talk about how to set up an automated um, recruitment uh, for interviews in like 20 minutes. And so any of your listeners that are like, I wanna do this, I've tried before and failed because you know it gets pushed to the back burner, like that would be a great post to check out and to action in your business. Yeah, absolutely. That is fantastic, fantastic advice. And I think that we could uh, now move on to our closing questions and our fast five challenge. So, Caitlin, I will ask you five questions and all you need to do is answer as quickly as possible. So are you ready? I am prepared. Yeah. <laughs> great. Let's do it. So the first question is, what is the one book you would recommend others to read? Atomic Habits by James Clear. It will make everything you do as a marketer and a human more better. Awesome. Second question, a SaaS company you love and why? Um, I really love FreshBooks. Um, I first discovered them when I started my freelance business and they are, it's just such an easy software. So I'd say FreshBooks is one of my faves. Great. Third question, favorite place to read about marketing online? I jump around a little bit, but I find that um, the CXL blog is outstanding. Um, and aside from that, I find a lot of articles through Twitter. So people are sharing them on Twitter, people that I trust and follow their opinion. So I'll discover a lot of new stuff that way by following people on Twitter and seeing what they're posting. Awesome. Fourth question, most important growth metric? Uh, retention. Great. And then fifth and final question, what would be your one piece of advice for fellow marketers? Talk to customers. Like find ways to talk to customers. Yes. You, you know, make your you know convince your team that it's critical that you can't come up with a strategy if you don't. So yeah, talk to customers. Perfect. Awesome. Well. Caitlin, thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast. This was absolutely amazing. Uh, could have carried on all day chatting about this with you. And it was a real pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much. It's a delight to be here. That was Caitlin Burgoyne on how to discover what triggers your right fit customers to buy. Now, you can find Caitlin on Twitter at Kate Bohr. That's K-A-T-E-B-O-U-R. And you absolutely must follow her. She's one of the best tweeters out there on marketing. And if you enjoyed this episode, then please feel free to share it with your networks. And we'd love if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. As ever, if you have any thoughts or feedback, then you're always welcome to reach out to me on Twitter at Nordic Edward or connect on LinkedIn. So thank you so much for listening to the Growth of Podcast by Advance B2B. This is your host, Edward Ford, signing off and make sure you check out advancedb2b.com for more content and resources on everything B2B SaaS growth. It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's